Turn with me to Luke 14, verse 15. Now, last week, Jackson uh, talked about our Lord's teaching on humility, how our Lord both modeled and taught that we should pursue humility, and that one of the ways he taught to do that was to pursue friendships with those from whom we have nothing to gain, those who won't raise our social status or won't enrich us in some way. He basically said, don't look at people and measure them by what they can give to you. Just give to them, no strings attached, especially to those you know can't return the favor. He says, if you do that, you will receive your reward at the resurrection of the righteous. And that's where verse 15 picks up. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus talked about the resurrection of the righteous and the rewards there, this guy immediately thought of the feast in the kingdom of God. See, that's the way they imagined, they pictured heaven as a feast. The Old Testament paints that picture, uses that imagery, especially of a wedding feast, a long, prolonged feast. Uses that picture to describe the joy of heaven. For them, that was the the, the, the most uh, effective imagery that they could identify with, that they could get excited about. In Isaiah 25, Isaiah describes this feast. It says, starting in verse 6, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. I'm going to have steak about that thick, medium rare, just kind of that falls apart in your mouth as you eat a big, big potato. I think Becky's going to go for uh, uh, the halibut with a macadamia nut crust, and she likes color, so there'll be a lot of colorful uh, fruits and vegetables, maybe a little angel hair pasta. Uh, for my kids, if they uh, are at the same age they are now in heaven, I don't know how that works exactly, but they better have McDonald's up there, or at least a Taco Bell, actually. They've uh, passed McDonald's, they're into Taco Bell. <laughs> actually, I probably shouldn't be talking about food this close to lunch. I've probably lost you guys. I could hear stomachs rumbling from up here. You see, food was intended to be a delight, a joy, something for us to enjoy. God created us with very sensitive taste buds and olfactory sense so that we would enjoy what we eat. He could have created us without these, so he just kind of, you know, pour in the gasoline and we chug off. But he didn't. He wanted food to be wonderful. And he wanted food to be a social experience. There's something intimate and bonding about sharing a meal together. It enhances friendship. It enhances a fellowship. See, that's God's desire and design. But in this world where God's good gifts have been contaminated and detracted by sin, we find that even food has, has lost its flavor, lost its goodness. It, it gets twisted. You know, all of God's gifts that he gave us to enjoy with gratitude, food and sex and leisure and possessions, all these things get contaminated. There's joy in them still, but there's a twist that seems to take something from us and out of us. And, and food now becomes something that enslaves many of us. So we have eating disorders and addictions. We have high cholesterol and clogged arteries. Food begins 
to be robbed of its joy. And as we seek in our abundance and our wealth to, to satisfy that need with more food, it just becomes healthy, unhealthy, excuse me, empty, deadly even. But you see, that's one of the glories of the great feast. This food will be ret- returned, restored to its proper and healthy role. It will be something that enhances the celebration, something that we enjoy together rather than in, in private and in guilt. We celebrate together. That draws us together. It will be something that, that, that uh, it strengthens our body, makes it stronger rather than destroying it. It doesn't say this, but I'm convinced at that feast, you can eat all you want and you won't gain an ounce. Anyway, back to Isaiah. (laughs) On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers the nations. The, the shroud he's talking about here is the, the, the mourning shroud, the grieving, grieving what sin has done to our world, the, the way it has stolen joy out of the very things that we are intended to enjoy. And, and, and sin will be undone. And, and the ultimate effect of sin, death, will be done away with. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. You can count on it. Bank on it. It's going to happen absolutely. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. So you notice there at the end how they were saying, This is our God. This is the Lord. We trusted Him and He came through for us. They're they're talking about Him. He's right there with them. They are in His presence. And you see, that's what makes the celebration. That's what makes the feast. They are with the Lord. That's what gives the joy and the flavor back to the food. That's what makes this such a delight. Being with Him and free to be ourselves with Him. No one knows you like He does. He likes your sense of humor or lack of it. He likes you. He knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows who you are. And at that feast, you're going to be free to be absolutely uninhibited exactly as you are. Because he will have removed the sting of sin and of death. And there will be complete freedom with each other. To love each other freely. To be open about who we are. To laugh and to enjoy. Because we will be in his presence. And we'll be like him. Anyhow, I wanted to set this stage for the passage. Because it's important to realize that what is being offered is wonderful beyond description. It is the greatest invitation conceivable. Now, the man in our story who, uh, you know, kind of exclaims to Jesus, blessed is the one who is uh, at this feast in the kingdom, he sounds like he is quite sincere about it. He is excited about it. He is looking forward to the feast. He is looking forward to heaven, to going there. 
Jesus has some very sobering words for him and for the other religious leaders who are sitting around the table. You see, these guys assumed that because they were Jews and they were in Israel, of course they were going to be at the feast. It's inconceivable to think that they might not be. They were, you know, they, they looked at their lives and, and I'm sure they said, well, we're not perfect, but we're at least we're in the top 10%. If anybody deserves to be there, I mean, we do. We are the leaders of God's people. We've got our act pretty well together here. We belong there. You know, they, 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 were con- they were convinced they were a lock. The only thing that they were worried about is wh- how high up in the seating rank that they were going to be seated. Jesus recognizes how badly they missed the point. How, how far off they really were. They didn't realize that the feast is by invitation only. And you see, the incredible thing in Jesus' story is they were turning down the invitation. They were refusing it. Let me uh, just read the parable, the story Jesus tells them. And then we'll come back and walk through it and look at the analogies. Starting in verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry. He ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, said the servant, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes. And make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Okay, that's the story. Now let's uh, just kind of walk through it. A man decides to have this great banquet. So he invites a large number of people, probably the leaders, probably his peers. He's obviously very wealthy, so he's inviting all of the, the leaders and the society people. In those days when you invited someone to a party, you just you decided what days the, the, the banquet was going to be. And usually it was several days in a row. And then you went out and you said, I'm going to have this banquet on this day. Do you want to come? They kind of RSVP and said, yeah, we, we plan on being there. You didn't say show up at 6 or at 4. Back then they didn't have watches or time-bake ovens or all of the other convenient devices that allow us to chop our days into nanoseconds. They just said, you know, when it's ready, we'll send somebody to get you. So all of these people probably had already RSVP. They say, yeah, we would love to come. But when somebody was actually sent to get them, when it meant they had to interrupt what they were doing, their schedules, their agendas, their plans, they all said, well, not right now. Got other things I want to do. Uh, now, I don't think that they intended to refuse the invitation altogether. In, in verse 24, it says, the master says, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Like they were still planning on coming. Maybe later. You know, realize a, a feast in those days lasted several days. And they were thinking, well, I got some stuff I want to take care of. Then 
I'll show up. And they assumed, because of who they were and how well they had their act together, that there would be a place waiting for them. They weren't turning down the invitation in concept. In fact, I think part of the power of Jesus' story is that nobody would turn down such a wonderful invitation. It's like somebody walk up to you and say, here are two tickets to Hawaii. You've got a condo there for the next two weeks. Everything's paid for here. And you say, ah, no thanks. Uh, it's just for them that would be unconce- inconceivable or unconceivable, either one. They couldn't conceive of it. But you see, these guys were not uh, probably turning it down in constant. They were just saying, "Not now. I got other things that are important to me right now. I got other things that I want to be doing right now." They assumed that their place would be saved, but it wasn't. You know, in the same way, everybody wants to go to heaven, in theory. I'm not sure there are some people who are cynical and because uh, they want to be shocking or because they really don't believe in heaven or hell anyway, say, I'd rather go to hell because that's where all of my friends are. But the reality is, for anybody who rightly understands heaven and hell, no one would choose hell. Everyone would choose heaven, at least in theory. But when the invitation comes, the time to start getting ready, to prepare yourself for that, so many of us say, well, not right now. I've got some other things that I need to take care of that are more important to me right now. The first uh, man in Jesus' story, he says that he has some business to take care of. He just closed a big land deal. He needs to go out and look at his newly acquired property. He's got to take care of business. You know, business is business. He doesn't want this feast to get in the way of that priority. I mean, if he doesn't go take care of business now, he may fall behind. He may lose out on some deals. He, he may not be competitive. And then the second man has to try out his new vehicle. Rather than 250 horsepower, he's got 10 oxen power. And he's got to take it out on the road. Try it out. Take it out on the snow. Take it out on the water. You see, this guy is into new things. He likes toys. He likes new things. He likes uh, his possessions. They're very important to him. They're the priority in his life. Sure, he wants to go to the feast. But right now, what's important is this new toy. Whether it's a, 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 you know, a new car, a new bike, a new uh, snowmobile, a boat, a, a bow, a gun, a cabin, a season tickets, whatever. That's what's important to him. And the third man sounds pretty spiritual to me. You know, he just got married. He says, I've got to be with my wife. Man, this guy's got his priorities, right? I mean, family first. In fact, he, he's biblical. In Deuteronomy 24.5, it says, If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. That's a great verse. That's a great concept. Especially the part about a man dedicating himself to his wife's happiness. You know, what a beautiful picture of loving one's wife as Christ has loved the church. But the problem is, this man still missed the feast. 
I mean, as good as his excuse was, as biblical as it sounded, as, as important as it is for him to love his wife, he still missed the feast. See, all of these excuses were pretty good. I mean, business is important. You can't neglect it and not suffer consequences. God tells us to do our best for His glory. And the, the, uh, the, the guy who was into his new toys, there's nothing wrong with the things that God gives us and the, some of the recreational distractions we have. They are wonderful gifts from God. And of course, family is important. Marriage is important. But as good as all of these excuses were, they were excuses, and these men all missed the feast. Hey, when the servant came back, told his master what everyone had said, the owner of the house was angry. He wasn't just disappointed, he was mad. And here he had expended all of this energy, all of this effort and expense to put on this wonderful banquet for these guys, asking nothing in return other than that they just show up. I mean, he was looking forward to the celebration, to the fun, to having his house full of people, and just having a wonderful time together. But these people didn't care about his desires, about his plans, about his feelings. I mean, he, he wasn't on their priority list. Now, they claim to be his friends, but by their response, they show their true colors. This uh, man is determined to have the feast, so he sends his servant out to get a whole new group of people. The social outcasts, the, the poor, the lame, the blind, the weak, and bring those in. The servant does that, but there's still more room. So he says, listen, you've already scoured the city, now go out to the country. Go as far as you have to go, as long as you have to go, to get people and bring them in. I'm going to have my house full. We are going to party. We're going to have a celebration. This house is going to be filled with joy, fun, delight. Okay, that's the parable. Now, what does it mean and how do we apply it? Well, I think a lot of its meaning is obvious. But whenever you're dealing with a parable, you've got to be a little bit careful not to try to take every detail and make it mean something and fit some detail of life. Parables give us principles, and we take those principles and we apply them to a variety of situations. Well, what was Jesus doing with the parable? Well, remember, he was sitting among a group of Jewish leaders who were convinced that uh, they were in. They, uh, they had their ticket to heaven. They had their heaven insurance. And they were, uh, you know, they, it was inconceivable to them that they wouldn't be in. But Jesus is pointing out to them that when the invitation finally came, they ignored it. They weren't ready for it. They didn't want it right then. Sure, they wanted to go to heaven. They want to be at the feast. But when Jesus came, bringing the kingdom, bringing the invitation to come into the kingdom, they said, no, that's not what I want. I want my status. I want my position. I want my life as it is. I'm not going to interrupt it. I'm not going to change it. I'll go to heaven after I die. But right now, i got other priorities. Jesus is saying, no. That's no, not the way it works. You guys have missed it. 
As religious as you are, as self-righteous as you are, you have missed it. Jesus brought the kingdom and the religious establishment of his day failed to respond to his invitation. It's one of the great themes of scripture that Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. By God's sovereign plan for the ages, that was the point in which the doors were open for the rest of us. For the Gentiles, for those of us who are weak and lame and blind, who are aware of our need. A commentator by the name of Bingle says about this passage, he says, says, Both nature and grace abhor a vacuum. God will fill his banquet hall. Heaven will be filled. Count on it. God's going to do it. So when Jesus came... To his people, and were rejected not by all Jews by any means. Most of the, uh, the the early believers and still many believers today are Jews, but by the establishment itself, when they rejected him, that opened the door for the rest of. Up to this point, to be to to come to God, one had to come through Israel. One had to become a Jew. But now Jesus has broken down the dividing wall so that all of us come on the same basis. We come weak, lame, blind, poor, in need. And by faith, we merely accept the invitation that Jesus offers. We don't try to pay for it. We don't try to earn our way into it. We merely accept it. And as a result, we are brought in to the feast. Jesus has sent his servants out to the farthest country roads all the way to America to invite us in. But the point of the parable is that regardless of how religious you are, how how moral and good you are, your intelligence, your wealth, whatever, anyone who does not respond to the invitation will miss the feast. Now let's apply this to us. I'd like to make a couple applications. Uh, Again, the first one I think is pretty obvious. It's an invitation to you right now. If you've never entered the kingdom, if you've never responded to the Lord's invitation, now is the time to respond. Now is the time to to receive the invitation. Again, everyone wants to go to heaven. No one wants to go to hell if they really understand that choice clearly. But the invitation is now. You see, the people of Jesus' day, they wanted to go to heaven. But they just thought, I'll Take care of that when the time comes. They didn't recognize that Jesus was bringing the invitation now. And the invitation is, you walk with me now, you follow me now, and we spend eternity together. They didn't realize that it was invitation only. It wasn't on the basis of of anything they had. It was purely on the basis of accepting the clear invitation. Just like the Jews in Jesus' day thought because they called themselves Jews and were religious people, they went to church, they believed in God, they were moral, decent people, they probably did more good than they did bad. Just because of these things, they thought, of course I'm in. I'm a lock. But I just don't want to deal with the call right now. I've got things to do. I've got business to take care of. I've got... Too many fun things left. Uh, My love life takes precedence. 
Maybe if that's where you are. Sure, you want to go to heaven, but that's then. There's other things that are more important right now. You've got to wake up and realize that, no, the invitation is now. Don't miss the invitation. He's saying, right now, you follow me. And we'll walk together now and we'll spend eternity together later. You don't earn your way in. You don't pay your way in. You just say, okay, I'll take the invitation. I'll accept it now. See, when we refuse the invitation, when we say no to God's Son, He is angry. When we take the death of Jesus Christ... The effort that God has gone through to invite us to the feast and to provide the feast. God can take offense to himself. But when we insult his son, whom he loves like that, he is rightly indignant. He's angry. And if this is where you are, kind of holding back for later, there are a couple of things you need to look at. First of all, you are being invited to a feast. One of the things the world does is it makes it look like to follow Jesus has got to be the most boring, dull, dry thing there is. It turns you into just this flat, two-dimensional, gray, dull person. What you're being called to seems like death and servitude. But you're forgetting the picture of the feast that the Lord wants to lay out in front of you. You see... This is important, so listen carefully. You are being invited to death and servitude. In fact, next week we're going to look at that more closely. Jesus' call is to the cross. But you see, this is where faith comes in. This is the whole matter of faith. That we trust him enough to believe that in dying we will live, that in becoming his slave, we will find true freedom. See, the reason it's so easy for Satan to convince us that to follow Jesus would be so horrible is because from this side, with the eyes of the flesh, when we can't see any more than we can see with our mind and our logic, all we can see is the death and the servitude. But when we see with the eyes of faith through to the other side, we see the life that is being offered, the feast that is laid before us. It sometimes takes raw faith to believe that in giving your life to Him, becoming His slave, you will find life. He is life. Trust Him enough to walk straight into death to receive life. There is no other way. Now, the other thing you need to be thinking about, if you're kind of holding back, is that now is the invitation. It comes right now, because the Lord is with us. Even though there will be a greater feast when we join Him in heaven, there will be literal food, there will be His physical presence, there will be the absence of sin and its effects on our lives. Still, even now, the Lord is with us. As Isaiah said, here is the Lord that we've trusted, that spiritually, by faith, we can enter His presence right now and receive all that our hearts long for. In the midst of this world, we can have the peace and the joy that really is the foundation of the celebration. The physical environment is no good without the spiritual 
connection, the spiritual presence. And we don't need to wait for that spiritual presence. The joy, the peace, the satisfaction, what our hearts long for is available right now. It will be culminated when we spend eternity with Him. But we begin it, the feast, right now. There is no reason to wait. Right now, you have the opportunity to choose the feast, to enter the kingdom, to accept Him into your life, to give your life to Him. Right now is the invitation. Accept the invitation right now. No strings attached. Now let me speak to those of you who have already accepted salvation in uh, Jesus Christ, but are still letting other things get in the way of following Him with your whole heart and your whole life. You know, maybe you've uh, become so committed to your work, you've lived for work so much, you find your identity there that you can't even... Consider what else your Lord may be calling you to. Or maybe um, you're so into new things, uh, fun diversions, you're so into possessions that it's frightening to think of giving up any of these things. You're afraid that somehow all the excitement and enjoyment will disappear from your life. You've become a victim of materialism. Or maybe you find yourself living for your family, pursuing that that, that ideal of the perfect family. And maybe it's even started out healthy and good, that that you wanted to love your family in a way that honored your Lord, but now you find yourself in in a a selfish and unhealthy and and a fear-motivated behavior, afraid of what will happen to the children you love, afraid of what will happen to your marriage if you listen to what your Lord is asking of you. You're afraid of getting involved in any other ministry because your family has become your Lord rather than Jesus. Or maybe you are just waiting for something to happen. After I retire, then I'm going to live for the Lord. Or after you're married or the kids are grown or you get that promotion, whatever. The invitation is for now. Jesus is offering you right now peace and joy and life. He's offering it right now. And right now, being sold out for Him is where you will find all that your heart longs for. Rest, security, freedom, satisfaction. You know, living a double life is miserable. You get the worst of both worlds. And the spiritual life is intended to be a sold out life, an all the way life. Not by just getting yourself pumped up and running out there. You're going to do it on your own. You're going to stand up for Jesus and be tough. Now, that's the flesh. It's a sold-out life because in your heart of hearts, you say, I belong to Him. I'm going to trust Him no matter what. I am going to quietly obey what He says. And sometimes, in the midst of that, it gets horribly confusing, horribly painful. You feel like you're losing every bit of joy and satisfaction and peace you ever wanted. It's gone But as you resolutely refuse to renege on the invitation, refuse to stop trusting Him. And by faith you trust Him enough, throw your lot in with Him. You will discover that He Himself is 
the feast. Being with Him and, 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 and drawing from Him, eating off of Him is the source of everything. Let me read a passage to you very quickly from John. I just want you to absorb this, not analyze it. Just listen with your hearts open. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life now, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. He who feeds on this bread will live forever. I don't pretend to fully understand this passage, but the reality is that Jesus is the feast. He is the source of the life, of the joy, of the celebration, of the refreshment. He is to, to, to life what a feast is. The, 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 the celebration, the renewal, the recreation, the, the refreshment. And it is by drawing from His life, taking Him into us and letting Him live His life out through us that we are sustained spiritually. This is one of the most mysterious uh, mysteries, the most profound mysteries, one of the most essential ministries. We, you are invited to come to Jesus and drink until you're refreshed. You're invited to come to Jesus and eat until you're full. You're invited to come to Jesus and to, to be with Him and to take His life into you and let Him live through you. He is life. He is the feast. As Paul said, Christ in you is your hope of glory. Now let me reiterate. The invitation that is given to you is for now. Respond to him now. If you have never responded to him, now is the time to, to invite him into your heart, to live there, and to enter his kingdom. Let him be your Savior and your Lord, your King. If you've already made that response, the invitation is now for you to enjoy the full feast of living completely for him. Letting Him live His life out through you. And as you do, you begin the feast right now that will culminate when we enter eternity with Him.
John said, Revelation 19.9, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would open my eyes, that you would open the eyes of each person here, that we would see the invitation, that we would recognize that you invite us to the feast, you invite us to life and joy. Lord, we are not uh, ignorant of the pain and the confusion that that brings so often in the midst of a confused and sinful world. Yet we want to come to you and draw our life from you. Open our spiritual eyes to see the feast that is found completely in you. We uh, pray this in your name. Amen.